0: Part two of our three-part installment interview with Jay Graydon. John, this was uh, was a pretty good part, was it not? Yeah, you always have a lot of um, good content in the second
1: part of a trilogy because, you know, the first one kind of sets it up and then the the second one advances the story from the first one, but then kind of leaves you hanging for the big finish, the the part three. So sometimes yeah. you're left, you're feeling a little empty because the part two doesn't really conclude, but we're going to try and do better.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of times people like the second installment the best, like think of Empire Strikes Back. Um, you didn't like the Ewoks <laughs> in part three? Let's <laughs> not go too far down a rabbit hole or All an right. Ewok hole. But um, right. wait, I listened to this one back, um, you know, when we were doing our rough cut, and just some of the stories are hilarious. So we should – maybe yep. we should just dive right into it. So we left off. He was telling the story about the E-Roads, right? Yeah, yep. And then I think what we do next is we segue to kind of the modern era because that discussion of the E-Roads reminded me that, you know, Young Gun, Silver Fox, both of those guys got – Rhodes pianos. So they're like in love with the sound. And uh, that's that's where we picked up uh, in part two. So, yeah, you asked him uh, what his thoughts were
1: on the sort of resurgence of this sound. And uh, I'll let you take it from there.
0: I wanted to get your take on something that's... um Maybe a little more big picture because you we keep mentioning Stefan and just for people who aren't uh, drawing that connection we did have the state cows on uh, on the show so that's who Stefan is that we're talking about um, who state cows are all about reviving this old sound from you know the West Coast sound um, the guys from young gun Silver Fox both of those guys own a roads so and they're you know kind of playing in homage I think uh, to this this era what do you think? Why do you think this is coming back now in in, in Vogue? John's got a project. I put out a little mini project. Um, It just seems like this sound is like not only catching on from the music from the era, but people are trying to now relight the fire. Why do you think that is?
2: This is really bizarre. This was luck. I heard a Rhodes on a radio. I mean, by the way, the sampling project took us four years because we're all perfectionists, the three of us. We're all nuts (laughs) perfectionists. So it took three, four years to complete. So probably about five years ago, I heard a record. I make myself listen to pop radio a couple hours a week just to hear what's going on and realize I'll probably never be part of it. Right. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Yeah, well, also, man, you know, who's going to want a cat over 70 years old producing a record with, you know, 20-year-olds, right? Yeah. Anyway, if our sound came back, maybe, but... You know, so I heard a rose on a record, a real one. And I said, that's interesting. And this was just when I started talking to George about doing the project. I said, we may luck out timing wise. Then mm-hmm. it got to the point where about six months ago, I heard um who's the band with Ab- Adam Levin. Oh, um, Maroon 5. Yeah, right. I heard it's a-, a song that featured a Rhodes and. I go, man, well, this is gonna help. And a bunch of other records. I mean, there's hits with the roads on it. And there hasn't been one yet with the E, I'm waiting for that. I did send the um, gift codes to to the guys in, um, what's the name of the band again? Why am I forgetting? Oh, Maroon oh, 5. Maroon 5. Right. Through John uh, Farrah's son who plays in the band, he's the keyboard guy. He's a hired cat, but he's part of the scene actually. I sent everybody the program. I guess nobody loaded it. I haven't heard back from them. But anyway, no matter. matter. They're they're missing out. They are. Well, first of all, Stefan and Pepe, the reason why those two brothers are so influenced by the era of our music is because of of their parents. Their mother is my PA. She's my personal assistant out of Umia, Sweden. And without her, I would be screwed. She <laughs> takes care. She's so anal in particular. I mean, and she gives me crap all the time when I'm like, get lazy on something, you know. Anyway, they grew up listening to this stuff. This is what they the, they loved, you know, Kirsten and her husband Lage. So they were part of it from the beginning. And I met them when they were kids before they even They were barely teenagers when I met them in Sweden when I was on tour with my band. So that's why those cats are so influenced by the music. And let me tell you, man, they're both very good musicians. They've really grown. And Stefan has done demos with the E playing Jero stuff and other stuff. Yeah, Steely Dan. I think he did a Steely Dan medley too, yeah. He's, He's very talented, and they both are. And um, <clears throat> so the reason I think it's back is that how many times can you use the same synth sounds? And at some point you're going to want a piano type sound. So I think that the roads not being heard for 30 years was the perfect instrument to surface. And I think it's going to keep getting used more and more. And you see all these other artists that maybe aren't doing specifically what we'd call West
0: Coast. But, you know, John Mayer's new album has been compared to West Coast, some Bruno Mars work. Oh, Bruno Um, is definitely influenced
2: by our era.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yes. So it's just it's back and it's cool for us because we love the old stuff and we're just loving that people are making new stuff again.
2: Charlie Puth may sit in that category. I don't know him. Hmm. What am I missing? Full-blown no. jazzer. He did, Um, he, him and Jacob Collier did a YouTube thing. Oh.
1: There.
2: You got to watch it. They, okay. Yeah. And I don't know if, if Jacob's ever going to come inside enough to do that kind of stuff, but he would be great at it. You know, yeah, but I yeah. think he'd probably yep. be bored. <laughs> <laughs> well, he
0: does love his digital tools. I can tell you, my son is a Jacob
2: Collier fan. Yeah. So. Okay. I sent him gift codes for his three rigs. Never heard back from him. Hmm. I'm gonna get on him because I want to interview him. Another thing I forgot to tell you about the YouTube channel is I'm gonna interview everybody. And I mean everybody. And a lot of guys from our era, but a lot of the newer guys too, you know. So that's gonna be that's gonna be fun and educational. So I'm gonna get back to Jacob on that. You know, I gotta, cool. I gotta bug these guys because they could really make a difference. And by the way, anybody out there that's interested in buying it, treesamples.com, or there's a link through my website. You can find it one way or another. And an A-plus rating from me. Yeah, man. So uh,
1: I was trying to go back to a couple of questions about production. You know, we've gotten into a lot of the technical side. I wanted to ask some things about the production and the arranging side of you. Um, and, and when I – I know you've done so many things. I I tried to spend some time this week going through discography. Your website is just loaded with information and material. Um, But focusing more on the era that's specific to this uh, podcast, which would be the Yacht Rock era, and I have said that sonically, the Bible of Yacht Rock, what Yacht Rock sounds like is Mark Jordan's Blue Desert album. There's a sonic nature about that. It's because it's rhodes heavy, um, you know Mark's particular voice, but the Giro albums you were doing around that time have a similar sort of sonic scape. As well as the um, the Manhattan Transfer stuff, when when you were in that era, now the as a producer, it seemed like the the bulk of what you were capturing, at least for your basics, you had your drums, roads, and bass were made like the core of the sound. Guitars were a little more in the background, a lot more of the palm muti, single note kind of stuff, except when it popped forward for the solos. But that Sonic Scape, particularly I'm thinking like the Jiro This Time album, a little more minimalist and then would explode into bigger sections. Can you just talk about what what your production process may have been like at the time uh, with that particular era?
2: Well, first of all, before Mark's album, I did a Steve Kipner album. Do you guys have that one? I do not. Oh, you need to get this I up. know Steven is a writer a lot, but I have not heard that album. It's called Knock the Walls Down, and it's okay. probably only available through Japan, all right. And I play a guitar solo on it that I'm pretty proud of um, on the last tune. And after you guys listen to it, I need to tell you the story. Talk about technical weirdness and what I did. Um, I'll bait you by telling you that the last word of the song is out, but the T's never heard. And <clears throat> Steve never stopped singing. How is that possible? Hmm. I taught him the pads, I'll, have to, I'll tell you the whole story, or we could get to it later, but it's a long one and it's a good one. But uh, Knock the Walls Down was the first one, first a big budget album I did, and it's I like it. And then next was Mark, on account of that album, I got Mark's album. And hmm. first of all, I gotta tell you, I love Mark like a brother, man. We still talk every month, sometimes more. Um, I might have outpriced myself on a solo he wanted me to play the other day. Uh oh. <laughs> I said, Well, my usual price is three grand, man, for a solo. And he says, Well, wait a minute, man. It's for me. I go, Hold on, Mark. Hold on. I haven't finished yet. <laughs> can you afford <laughs> grand? He says, Yeah, I can afford that. I said, Look, well, we'll think about it. Whatever. You know, I wasn't, we could have negotiated it some more, you know, but he hasn't called me since then. Maybe I did piss him off uh oh that'll that'll pass <laughs> Nah, we're listen we're like <laughs> brothers, man, but I gotta tell you that album sonically is good and it's pretty simplistic, yeah, not there's not that and the and, and and yeah, that's probably the most simplistic of them all so right i would I would record with drums, bass keys, and I usually would hire a guitar player like Dean or Luke um just in case they came up with something really special. And when they did, I would keep it. But if they didn't, I'd play it. So sometimes I kept it, sometimes I didn't. But it was a hit and miss thing, and those guys knew it. So I said, take chances, man. If you find something really different and cool, that's great. Don't think stock, you know? So, um, yeah, well, I had my production hat on for that part. Um, and my engineering hat. And when I wrote out the tunes, Mark's tunes weren't complex at all. There weren't a lot of chord changes. I would add chord changes where I could get away with it. Okay. Just yeah. enough to make him a, make it a little bit more musically interesting. Yes. But I couldn't go away from what he is about. You know, that's something as a producer, you got to think. I can't take an artist and turn him to, into something he's not. I have to respect the song. Right the lyric and you know, his singing. So yeah, when I wrote all the stuff out, man, it was, I knew it was going to be pretty simple. Now I can't remember. And in, in, in those songs is the chorus. Does it ever explode? Maybe string pads, but that would be kind of light. I'd have to go back and listen to it.
1: Yeah. Cause it doesn't have as much of the horn stuff that I associate with your work with the
2: Jerry Hay. Uh, stuff. Right. Well, it wasn't yeah. right for that album. Right. The horn solos were. Yeah. And there's some great horn solos from Chris Lee, Pete Chris Lee, Bernie Watts, and Chuck Finley. Well, there's that one at the end of uh, Is that
1: Lost in the Hurrah? That where you've got that long play out at the end. We always talk about the amount of space in yacht rock and allowing a band to kind of just happen and not having to fill it with a bunch of constant vocal or constant solos like today's music. And there's that play out at the end of Lost in the Hurrah, and then Chuck Finley comes in with the delicate flugelhorn. Yeah. It's like two two to two and a half minutes. And it's like, in today's music, they would never allow
2: two and a half minutes of just kind of chill. You know, this is so good. bug that album wasn't successful. I, really I know. I thought it had a shot. I really did. But um, of course, in a tune like that, they would edit it out. Yeah. And, well, I'll give you a perfect example of the funniest edit. Remember, Blood, Sweat and Tears or Chicago was probably the first West Coast pop or yacht rock band yeah, (laughs) um, in the 60s. And the song Spinning Wheel. Do you remember the song? Yep. What goes up must go down. Right. Well, these cats were jazzers at heart. And in the middle of the tune, they go to straight ahead bebop, and there's a trumpet solo. I can sing you the trumpet solo, man. I remember it so well. Ba-da-da. (laughs) Da 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 I wrote it out on an airplane once just for the hell of it. So um, on the (laughs) final version, they cut it out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, of course. The best part, but, you know. Yes, the best part of the tune. It was swinging, man. So um, anyway, with Mark's thing, it needed to be understated. You know, now you put David Foster and I together. Now we're (laughs) going to have a problem. With With understatement, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, uh, like (laughs) David said... We overproduced airplay to death. He says there's no air until you finally get to the song Bix. Bix, when cool. Bix when and Bix has an interesting story. It comes from a movie a called High School Confidential that was about Drugs, marijuana, and uh, it's a long story, but there, there's a funny line in it where Bix is a driver for Mr. Big, and Bix says to Russ Tamlin, how do you play it, man? And Bix says, uh, I mean, Russ Tamlin says, I play it cool, man. And Bix says, Bix likes it when you play it cool. <laughs> so <in> third person. <laughs> Sit down and watch the whole movie and take lines from the movie and use it in the lyric. So on the on the airplay album, that's how Bix came about. But David and I did overproduce, man. We just threw, we threw two kitchen sinks in there. Yeah. <laughs> did, were they, the vocals at the front of Stranded
1: were they copied and like edited to the front, or did, were they sung in acapella in the front of that song?
2: They were sung. It was Tom Kelly, even though Tom sang the the song. That was Tom Kelly that I think sang the front vocals. I'd have to double check, but I had a tuning note recorded, so they'd have a pitch. Okay, sang. yeah, I always do that.
1: So that, that wasn't mixed and flown in later or edited on from like one of the later choruses. No, that was no, done. No, oh, no. cool, excellent.
2: We did wild. We did wild sync. We did fly ins before. And that's a whole other thing. I'll address and show how people how we did it in analog land back then, as it's very interesting. Yeah, just for the from the perspective, all the stuff we did, all the tricks I came up with, were out of necessity. How can we do this? I may have done the first sample of a, a big band playing a unison C on Steve Kipner's album. I was in the Don Ellis Band, and I remember this tune that ended with the drums going playing a fuck it up" bump fill and bop on, on high C. And there was a perfect spot in Kipner's album to do that. So I recorded the album to tape, and then I have a way of marking the tape, the two-track tape and the multi-track tape, and keep experimenting with the same, starting both machines together, but keep experimenting of, of the position of the tape that's the wild sync tape. As a matter of fact, I'll tell tell you a story I've never told. On the Airplay album, I was playing acoustic guitar parts for It Will Be All Right, I think it was. And I just couldn't get the parts to groove on the second verse. I don't know what it was. I don't know if I had a mental block and I was still playing all the time. I hadn't lost my guitar chops to producing land yet. So I was still playing well. And David says, Man, he sat with me for a while and, and he says, What are we doing? Let's fly it in from the first verse. Now we didn't play with a click. So Jeff's <laughs> going to move the time. Yeah. Oh, well, we flew it in and it was excellent. And I go, Well, there, we'll chalk that one off to experience, you know. Wow. But rarely did that ever happen. We only did it when we wanted to fly in something that was already done that we did want to have to redo that was a lot of work, you know?
1: Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent
2: any disease. And then that brings up the Holophone. Do you want to hear about the Holophone?
1: You know what? Bill Schneid was telling us about the Holophone. That's right.
2: Okay. Well, I was around when it was made and I had a copy of it. Um. Here's what David did with Daryl Hall. He wanted two octaves of F to F singing Ah or Ooh. I forget what it was. So what they did is David um, um, he he had the Hammond B3 with the third drop bar pulled out, which is the fundamental, an octave higher, taped down the notes so it was constantly playing with no vibrato or no Leslie. And Daryl would hear that in his cans. And on a four-track machine, he'd record the first ah until he ran out of breath. And if it wasn't good, David would redo it. Then after they got a good one, he'd double it. Then he'd triple it, then he'd quadruple it. And then they'd go on to F sharp. They'd do the same process. They did the same process for two octaves. And then they'd start making loops of these. So on the four-track machine, They'd make a loop where the tape had to wind off onto another four track machine that would be positioned so the tape could go around a blank reel on that <laughs> second four track and it was spliced to loop back. So it was constant, it never stopped, right? And they spliced it at a point where you couldn't hear a splice. Then, after they did that, they'd record that 15, that 30 minutes onto a 24-track on one track, track one. Then they'd do the same with F sharp. After they finished all that and made the loop, record it on track two of the 24-track over and over and over until you've got 30 minutes of 24 notes. So then what we do is bring in at Sunset Sound, they had this 24-track remote console. We'd bring in another 24-track machine We'd play the holophone tape, just ran, and then David would figure out the voicings he wanted to use for pads, and it would take two or three of us. So he'd assign each one of us what faders to move when, and we'd slam the fader up right when it was needed, slam it down when it wasn't needed, then slam up the next one, so you (laughs) can hardly tell there was any crossfade. And we do this till we got it right. Three people, we could really nail it. Two people, it's doable. But that's the holophone, and I had a copy of it. And I don't lose things, but I lost it. Where would we have heard that? It would be on the album, Daryl, the, the album that Foster produced for Hollenode or Daryl, whoever. It's like ecstatic, and was I know he did Ecstatic
1: and one other, I think, but
2: hear who's or ahs. I'll that have to listen for that. Okay. It's great to have the tape, just to have that analogous sound. It's gone, man. Nobody knows where it is. If anybody does know where it is, call me. Find right. me on my website. I want, yeah. I want that. I want to check con- with Bill Schnee.
1: Bill may still know. He, he knew about it, but I don't know. I don't think Bill that. had a copy, but
0: I could I, be wrong. Yeah. I don't know if he does. Uh, but Jay, Jay, you triggered something a second ago I wanted to ask you about. Um, In that you were sort of kind of bebopping a a solo, a scatting kind of. Mm -hmm. And um, John and I did an episode of this podcast where we went through, we tried to identify the best solos in all of Yacht Rock that weren't guitar solos. First, we we did guitar solos, yeah. Yeah.
1: A lot of Jay It was like you, Luke, and Larry Carlton for the most part.
0: (laughs) We we tried to venture outside of those. But then we did
1: non. Stuff that wasn't guitar, and there's a lot of Ernie and Watts John, in that. We got to admit, Yeah. So, Ernie yeah.
2: Watts <laughs> and Sanborn. yeah. But, and, uh, so Sanborn, uh, yeah, um, uh, Chris P. Chris Lieb, if you knew of, him. yep, uh, um, yep, of course. But there was, well, we identified one that uh,
1: I had to go to the judges to get a ruling on whether this counted as a solo, and it was the scat solo that uh Al did on Love Is Real from the This Time album, which was then of course, well the the horns, the horns go with it. Jerry Hayes got the muted uh, horns along with that. Okay. And so hey, that so if you recall that I mean, one that was the question was which came first? Uh Al. Beep.
2: So you know, here's what happened. Jerry wrote out the part, and um, there's two times where he wrote out a part that I thought was impossible possible to play. That one and the one where he, uh, on the Airplay album on Nothing You Can Do About It, where he doubles a band, where the horns double a band I do, and somehow or another with false valve fingerings, he made it work. I don't know how the hell he did it. But anyway, okay, so on the This Time album, um, for that thing, he wrote it out. And after I heard the rundown, I said, man, what a great idea. And he said, yeah, man, I thought it would work. I said, work, it's outstanding. And then it even got weirder because I think it was Three Horns. It was in my old home studio, and it was Chuck, Jerry, and Bill Reichenbach. And they're all incredible musicians. And Chuck's also a great trombone player. And Bill Reichenbach can play all the trumpets and all the valve instruments. So they walk, Jerry walks into the control room after we get to take, we're just taking a break. And I hear the line again, and it's played really well. And Jerry says, that's Chuck on bone and Bill on trumpet. To play the line on trombone alone is a task and a half. Oh, that's how versatile and good those cats are. Al had laid down the scat part first and they copied to that. Yeah. And Jerry wrote it out. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sounds amazing.
2: It does. And by the way, when Al did scat stuff, <clears throat> I'd bounce it. It's not ever from one pass. Mm. Just like all the other stuff, man, I'll comp it. All the horn solos, a lot of my guitar solos. Sometimes they're two, pa- uh, it's a combination of two passes there's a few that are one pass, sometimes three passes, sometimes four. They could be combinations of different solos. So Al would have probably done multiple scats, then you comped
1: that, and then Jerry went and right. horn arranged against it. Okay. And I would wow. comp
2: it just like I would comp his vocals. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain how I did that on my YouTube channel. It's, a, it's the best way to do it, even with Pro Tools, and you'll see why.
1: W- would you do that with... Um your guitar solos, a lot of your guitar solos would have harmonies where they may even just pop in and pop out. Would you kind of just blaze or work out a solo and then kind of, like you say, comp it and go back and maybe add layers as you saw fit? Or do you conceive of some of these solos that have all these harmonies in it, almost like an arranger and you have it all figured out in your head ahead of time and then just go in and execute the parts?
2: No. When I'm playing guitar solos, I'm always five milliseconds from crashing into a brick wall. <laughs> That's what I called Fagan when we were doing the Peg solo. And I just went for it on that song. And I told Donald, I said, look, man, I'm going to shut my eyes in a few spots and I'm just going to wing it. I'm just going to take chances, man. And I said, you know, look, you know, we're recording. It's not a live gig. He's used to punching in all night anyway. He's worth yeah. it to me. Think you know, that iconic <laughs> solo
0: by the way which we've talked about of course on this podcast Dang, a lot but God. when did when did you find out that you were the one that they selected for that peg solo when i heard it on the radio
2: Isn't that crazy <laughs> i couldn't believe it oh man you know, i walked out of there man it wasn't like well this is the keeper it was like yeah you know thanks jay and i said Damn, nice working with you cats you know <laughs> and that was it mm. wow <laughs> Get back to your thing about the multi parts. The even yeah. I call it the wire choir. Um, there would be times in songs when I would just come up with a line as a background support. We're not talking about solos now. I'd just come up with a line that was a background support, and I used that a lot on a lot of records I produced. It was kind of a signature thing. And then, of course, after I played the main line, then I had to figure out the harmony parts. Sometimes. Typically, the main line was the middle part, and I'd uh, then play the higher part. But first, I'd write them all out. Okay. I, I knew I had to write them out, so sometimes I'd wing it if it wasn't too complicated. But the fingerings were always bizarre. They weren't easy. But I liked that challenge. And I got used to doing it, man, where I could bang through it you know, pretty quick. Um, when I did it with solos, like on Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. after I played the solo... I had to I had to work out the harmonies. And that's not an easy task to play. As I just replayed them for a Manhattan Transfer album they did with the German Pop Symphony Orchestra. And um, man, I, I haven't been playing guitar much lately because I've been hung up doing all kinds of other stuff. And when I do that, man, my playing, my chops go down. I need to play for like a week before I can get anything back to kind of being 60 or 70% of what I was. So I had to play that solo for a week before I could get it up to tempo. I had to write it out. Then I had to play it up, play it. I was literally a week. It's actually better than the original. I added a few things, changed a few things, so. One other thing that worked out big time, at least for me, is uh, listeners to the podcast
0: will remember be hearing or remember hearing me say a number of times my favorite part or element of "quote unquote" yacht rock is this palm muted guitar rhythm thing that's just like candy to me whenever I hear it. And I'm reading from your website; it says. Um, that Jay is maybe first and foremost known for two very special ways of playing the one note mute rhythm guitar playing as in Breaking Away album. Um so what are your what are your tricks of that trade? And did you feel like you kind of invented this palm mute or did you borrow it from
2: somebody? Oh, no, I I I misled Kirsten. I should have fixed that. Um I no, I wasn't the first guy to do it. Um they're on James Brown records, man. And by the way those records groove. Man, did they groove. Mm-hmm. There was an R&B station that was playing him around the clock for a few days and I wrote a bunch of those parts out. But I got to change them a little bit, man, cuz I just don't want to rip them. I already did. Man, they <laughs> feel great. They were playing, they were they weren't they were palm muting a little. Ray Parker was another cat that was part of our group of guys. Ray and I worked together probably more than anybody I worked with on guitar. He's the best Mm -hmm. rhythm guitar player that ever lived. And Paul Jackson's pretty damn good. Oh, And Al McKay is another guy. And I've known Al McKay since college. He played drums first. He was the guitar player with Earth, Wind & Fire for many years. Great rhythm player. (sighs) But anyway, no, I I didn't start it, man. Um, I had my style... You know, uh, Ray has his style and, um, you know, either one of us can be the other guy and pull it off, believably, pretty well, I think. So when we work together, it's like right off the bat, what do you want to play, Ray? You know, we'd run the tune down one time. What do you want to play, rhythm or muted? If he jumped on one of of the two, I'd just do the other one. Or if I jumped on one of the two, he'd do the other one. And there was just it was like four hands, you know, and one brain. Two guitars, mm-hmm. four hands and one brain. We could read each other, man. Yeah, we've talked about how
1: those being like the we, you they'd often mix them one in the left side, one in the right side. And the the two parts just magically oh. work together. The way they talk to each other is great.
2: And the same with Luke, and the same with me and Dean. Yeah. We always look for things without stepping on the other guy, but we also always looked, we had to. Man, being a studio musician is not easy, man. When you're expected to daily to come up with new stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it it it's not easy. And you got to keep you got to listen to everything subliminally. You got to listen. First of all, you need a lot of hi-hat in the cans because every drummer on 16th note patterns is going to tilt the groove a little bit, even if it's straight eights, even if it's it's still going to tilt a little. So when I walk in the room and I see it's Jeff on drums, I know exactly where the tilt's going to be. If I see it's Keltner, I know exactly where it's going to be. Mike Baird, I know where it's going to be. Name the drummer, Carlos. I know where they put the tilt after working with them so much. So it became easy. That part, the feel part was automatic. It's just coming up Listening to every part and trying to fit that little nuance in between without taking up too much room, you know, that was the key.
0: And I think that's what I love so much about the the palm mute rhythm is that it's going back to what we love about Yacht Rock. There's so much space and no one's trying to, as you say, play over one another you know once it get into the we talked about this last week john mid to late 80s and then 90s let's it it seemed like the style became let's make everything loud and make everything compete and see if we can blow the doors off from note one to you know the end (laughs) note and (laughs) going back to these artists that are trying to revive the sound i think there's an appreciation for space but that little palm mute it adds so much groove without adding any noise whatsoever
2: parts on morning now there's a song that was yeah now that part I came up with—that's not morning started. And David, and I mm. wrote that in about an hour for an instrumental album for him, and then I told, I pitched it to Al, and I said, "Man, you got to sing this thing, man. This is a great song. And write a lyric." And he wrote the best lyric he's ever written, especially when it comes to the line, "Reach out and touch the face of God," and it ends on a high A. And that's a whole other story. But the muted guitars on that part on David's version of the instrumental album. I just played one part and played both notes and alternated them. But I said, you know what? It'd be better if I play them in in harmony and, and, and even, you know, they don't take up a lot of space on other songs where I play the part and it's like, you know, just in the background, that's not the feature of the song. The guitar has got a lot of um, it's accelerated from two to three K and that frequency Mm -hmm. area cuts through a mix. So you don't need to have it loud to have it heard.
1: Yeah, and I've compared that to being almost like a uh, percussion part, like a conga part with tonality, because
2: it kind of does that same thing. It sets up the groove a lot. You know, another thing that drove me nuts, and this is another thing we're going to do with the E. The vibrato on the E, if you're playing, if the guy's got the vibrato on, and you're playing at a tempo that's near the vibrato, I'll bet you at some point the band's going to catch up with the vibrato or lay back to match the vibrato. What we're going to do, this is something I told Greg about five, six months ago. I said, please get a BPM set up where the vibrato can be tempo matched so we won't ever have that problem. So that'll be in a future update. Yeah. Yeah. That's necessary. That drove me nuts. I remember
1: having to recut guitar players, if they were playing like a heavy tremolo kind of thing and way before beat match days, and they would play a part and there would be specific spots where they would hit important notes and it would be at a point where the tremolo was at the bottom. Like, oh, it would just kind of ruin the
2: take. I like the old Fender early 1960s Tolex vibrato versus the tremolo that kind of goes on and off. Right. Vibrato was sweet on those amps. You know what? I never use tremolo on anything ever. Um, I use vibrato on a surf album. (laughs) We did. Mm
1: -hmm. There you go. (laughs) Surf. (laughs) Jay doing surf.
2: All right. You're raking the surf tones. No, it's hysterical, man. We recorded eighteen tunes in two nights. (laughs) <laughs> there's one song that has 26 guitar solos. <laughs> oh my god. We sent it to Nashville for 10 of them. <laughs> oh my gosh. The album it's hysterical, man. And there's there there's a song called Malibu Pier that Jim Cox wrote and the lyric is totally outside. Then Hungate wrote a, a song called October and Oxnard. The lyric is totally outside. <laughs> and we're playing this like we're teenagers. I'm intentionally not trying to play too good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Right? That's and hard. Yeah, It's hard. It was yeah. hard. Hungate flew out here just to do it. He wanted to do it so bad. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... <laughs> Rake and the Surf Tones. I did not think we would be getting to uh to Surfer Rock when we were talking to Jay Graden today, but here we are. Yeah, it is funny he mentioned that it was hard and I asked him that cuz it is. When you get
1: reach a certain level, it's hard to play bad again. Yeah. And so they're intentionally playing bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I can play bad with no problem at all.
1: I know. Yeah, you're you're probably better at that than Jay. Oh,
0: for sure. I'm definitely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, let's take another break, and then we'll uh, follow up with our third installment next week. But I think we've gotten to the point now where we should hit our lightning round. Yes, and I'm going to ask
1: you a question uh, directly related to guitar, since we just came off the—he mentioned a song that had 26 guitar solos in it. So I'm going to ask you a float-your-boat question as it relates to guitar. This is not song-specific. This is like one of those um, death-not-an-option, either-or. Oh, boy. So in Yacht Rock, staying within, within the songs that we know to be Yacht Rock, would you be more upset if Yacht Rock magically removed all guitar solos or all the muted plucky parts <laughs> that you love so much disappeared forever. Mm. Which one could
0: you live without if you had to? Oh. Well, I'm going to steal from your little playbook and say that I could probably pull off the palm mutes with some sort of percussion. Um, <laughs> so I guess – okay. But the thing is about what makes Yacht Rock awesome to me is the juxtaposition of your, you know smooth and then out of nowhere comes a face melter. And it's like yep, and they fit well together. So and especially in an episode where we're talking to Jake Graden himself, who's melted many faces in his day. I got to go with keep the solos in and we'll figure out a way to maybe I'll sneak the Paul Mutes in some other way. Yeah. Uh, he's also one of the definitive players of the. Of the Paul muty stuff too. So
1: it's a tough call. So that's why I asked you and didn't let you ask I me. think I would take death as an option if that really came
0: okay, up. Okay. Okay. I'll remember that. <laughs> All right. So float your boat. Okay. Can you believe it? Much to my surprise, I've double and triple checked, and unless it's on an episode somewhere buried deep beneath the surface, that um, after the love has gone, or after the love is gone, and we'll get to that story in part three, Yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire is not on the Yatsky scale. So hmm. I'm going to guess and presume that you find it to be yachty and floating your boat. So I'm just going to ask you to give me a number between 1 and 100. Give me a yacht, an amateur yaski scale vote on After the Love is Gone. The Earth, Rain, and Fire version, that is. Okay. Kids, do not try this at home. Um, <laughs> and this is purely for entertainment purposes. I'm just curious how yachty you find it. 72. Yeah, that's right about where I'd put it, too. It's got, I mean, when you got talk about personnel, when you got a collaboration between Foster and Graydon, and it's got Bill Champlin, and ugh, the only thing that doesn't make it yachty is Earth, Wind, and Fire, the band. But yeah, and the fact that
1: it's essentially a ballad. So I'd knock off a few points for that and knock off a few points because I'd like it to be, as you said, including some of the other personnel um, beyond being
0: part of the songwriting team. So, yep, that, that's about where I put it. All right, cool. All right, well. Um, that gives me a chance to do buried treasure and maybe steal yes. something from you. Good, because uh, the story that Jay told in this episode about, you know, when Jay says there's a guitar solo on that tune that I'm pretty proud of, I gotta hear what this guitar solo is. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> if he's proud of it, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That Steve Kipner album, it's called uh, Knock the Walls Down. Unfortunately, it's not on Spotify, so this is not going to make it into our playlist. But the full album is uploaded to YouTube, and I checked it out. It's really good. So it's the first Jay Graden production,
1: right? Is that what Correct. he said? First full album, big production. Yep. It's awesome. It but is.
0: Remember he said there's a little secret that he would tell us someday where they never finish the last word of the song and then yeah. it goes into a guitar solo? hmm Well, listen to this.
1: So it sounds like he's doing some sort of almost holophone kind of thing there, where the vocals continue to be looped in some fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there is some trick going on there because the harmonies not only do they go on forever, but they're also changing with the chords. So there's some sort of uh, hocus pocus going on. We got amazing solo, and I got to say that before we released this episode, I made sure that I went out and got on Discogs and ordered a vinyl copy of that record because there aren't a lot around and they're probably going to go up in price once uh, yeah. the Yacht Rock uh, Circle starts searching that one down. So well, great, that tune's great called, sounding record.
0: Yes, it is. That tune, and by the way, the YouTube thing upload is, a, you can tell it's a vinyl upload because yep. you can hear the record. Yep. Uh, but uh, that song's called The Ending. And I think, I'm just going to say, that might be my new favorite Yacht Rock guitar solo of all time. And that's why mm. I cannot remove guitar solos from Yacht Rock right Okay. There. Fair enough. Very treasure from you, my friend.
1: Speaking of endings, mm. uh, it, it's, I think it's kind of funny that um, all that talk about guitar solos and we were able to uh, sort of police ourselves so far from asking about the Peg solo. He's probably told that story so many times. He was probably surprised we didn't really hit on that. But you asked him the question about when did he find out that he was the one, that mm-hmm. his, when when was the one that was picked? And he said, uh, and I'd heard that before when he heard it on the radio, man, you know, <laughs> and. Um, that got me thinking that I went back and listened, listened to that album again, and I'd never really noticed before, probably because I wasn't really looking for it, but on the fade out of Peg, there is some lead guitar noodling that comes back in. Mm. It made me wonder, is that Jay? Did they also have him play in the playout? Because the only other guitar player that's credited is Steve Kahn. The same tone at the end sounds like the same tone Jay was using, but... It's not a whole lot, but it makes me think, okay, did they, after he played that solo, say, can you do a little play out at the end? And then thereby, because they picked Jay's body solo, did they have to use Jay's end play out? I don't know, but I'm going to play a little of that, so check it.
0: Another reason we got to have Jay grade back on the podcast. I mean, three episodes isn't enough, so we'll I know, ask him. We're finding more secrets. What do
1: they say, that the more you get answers, the qu- more questions arise, something like that? But S- Something like uh, that. Mr. Mister 80s culture there, you love to put it in cultural uh, mm. placement. Did you know that, the remember the show Entertainment Tonight? Oh, yeah. That they used to have a paparazzi section in the early 80s, and Peg was the theme music they used for the paparazzi <laughs>
0: section. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. I yeah. know. Okay. Interesting. Well, good. Well, educate us some more on Off the Map. I'm sure you got some. Well, questions. I had to go
1: and look up the Holophone. So my Off the Map is going to involve the Holophone. And I actually found out that on that album that David Foster produced for Hall & Oates, which was called Ecstatic, 1979, there's actually a song on there called Holophone. Wait, David Foster produced or Jay Graydon? J- david foster okay produced gotcha that but that's where Graydon learned about the uh the holophone that he explained in the episode gotcha well there's a bizarre song on there it's only about a minute and a half long and it's called holophone so here he's here he is doing some trickery with the holophone <laughs> uh off the map for sure. It's as far off the map as we've ever been. Well, well there was Duran Duran, but
0: that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and there was also uh Lady in Red off oh, the yeah. map too. So, <laughs> both of those were mine. So, uh <laughs> okay, scores 2 to 1 on being way yep. off the map. Yep. Um I'm going to go sort of off the map. I think a lot of the purists would tell you and maybe I agree that air supply is never going to be yacht rock because it's so baldy. But I feel like if Jay Graydon is producing Air Supply, then it's worthy of at least forty-eight points. I don't know, but anyway. So I had to go. I saw on his website that he had worked with Air Supply, which I never knew. And I'm like, well, what song? So here it is. Here's Air Supply, produced by Jay Graydon, and this song is called "I Could Wait Forever." I think that was only released in Japan as like an add on to a compilation, maybe. So it's also a buried treasure. But that was co produced by Jay Graydon with David Foster, which I think you can hear, and co written oh, yeah. by Jay Graydon and David Foster with Graham Russell. So,
1: yeah, it absolutely sounds like it came from the engine house of uh, Graydon and Foster for sure. In their like uh, producing Chicago sound days. Yeah, for sure.
0: Now, I do see a note here that this was from the soundtrack to Ghostbusters, maybe? <laughs>
1: I really? don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, that might uh, need citation. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so, But anyways, it's uh, definitely you hear some David Foster in there, too, don't you? You do. Yes. Right. It's got that stack of the roads and the uh, grand piano.
0: Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, the stacking did come up in the episode. So is that it? Are we all done for episode two? Ahoy, polloi. No, 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 no. Oi Pala Oh, yeah. Wait. Uh, I don't know. Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. Never mind. Done. <laughs>